Welcome to the Cultural Connections podcast, where we take a deep dive into the place names and landscapes of South Wales. This podcast will be flexibly bilingual, so some will be in English, Abid Rai and Gamraig. In this episode, we're in Draharis. We've been around a lot of the, the different places, different wards of Merthyr Tydfil County Borough and Ronda Cannon Taff, and, and today's no different. Uh, we're at Treharis. Harry, give us a little bit of the history of Treharis and, and, and Quaker's Yard and, and the area around there. Right, well, Quaker's Yard, the Munwent Crenwyr and Gamrag, Charlie Treharis and Munwent Crenwyr and Fran Vuya the Hayol, or Vordes of Sir Merthyr Tydfil. Um, an old Bob Sawn, Enno Graveyol, a Pentref, oedd Rhyd Grig, a uh, Ford of the Heather, um, not Rustling Waters. Erbyn uh, tia canol uh, Rael Ganfrif yr Bymtheg, roedd Bydwyddwyr, Anibynwyr a Chrynwyr, yn ysoli mewn ffermd i berthlwyd ymhen tŵyn. Ychydig ar ôl hynny, ffurfiodd y Crynwyr a ddoldi ei hunan, ac wedyn yn 1667 Quick's Yard. So, Quick's Yard, um, the earliest place name for um, Quick's Yard was um, Reed Creek, apparently, um, the ford of the Heather, not the ford of the Rustling Water, as recorded in some places. In the 17th century, a nearby farmhouse, Berthloid, uh, the Grey Bush, was used by descent groups such as the Baptists, Independents and Quakers for worship. Um, the Quakers soon established their own separate congregation and in 1667 they opened their own burial ground on the Pontanus estate, hence the name Quakers Yard. And Tim, that cemetery and, and that part of Quakers Yard is still there today, right? It is, yeah. It's uh, down near the river and it's a, a small plot of land, but it's, uh, it's certainly still there. And protected. I, I went there to film for this for this project, and you're right. It is a you wouldn't know what it was until you walk to the very back of that little patch of land, and there's a, a, a plaque that says what it is there. Yeah, I mean that's I guess typical of of Quaker uh, activities in general. This idea of being unobtrusive and and just fitting into the landscape. Uh, but it is quite an interesting interesting spot. Um, there are stories about. Uh, festivities being held around the yard and uh, I think somebody getting drowned in the river because uh, because of having imbibed too much which doesn't sound very Quakerish but uh, uh, interesting stories anyway and uh, yeah a, a fascinating little spot uh, really out of uh, out of the obvious really perhaps down there. And it does seem that a lot of the place names we've discussed in the episode leading up to this and, and further on We've, it's all about Welsh place names and and you, the Welsh language. Quakers Yard, obviously, not one of those is the Welsh version of it. But the is that indicative of a period of time? Is it indicative of a way of thinking that you get these these names associated with these places? I think it's actually quite interesting. There is a, there's certainly a, a school of thought that. The rise of nonconformism in the in the seventeenth century, in particular, uh, led to quite a lot of Welsh uh, custom being lost. Um, not just being visible here, perhaps in the most used form of the place name, but also um, perhaps a loss of, of traditions like music. 
so there is a there is a general story there, I think, of of change of language and change of uh, viewing of, of of Welsh names during the seventeenth century. When you when you when you sort of was trying to associate music with Welsh or Welsh music, what's the first thing that sort of springs to mind is kind of the hymn and and hymn singing, and as, as kind of arises from that rise in nonconformity in 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 um, the late eighteenth century and the seventeenth century. So early eighteenth century and the seventeenth century, I meant to say. So you can see, you know, you can see that tradition and. It, there's a, in there's a kind of folk tradition that has been kind of lost in 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 Wales to a certain extent. Uh, much of the folk music that's kind of recorded, if you're interested in folk music, is sort of like English folk has been taken over into sort of Welsh tunes. So you don't see the same thing in English and Irish or Scottish folk. So the the area um, of of Quakers Yard and, and that part of the valleys, well, in fact, all of the valleys um, have some sort of industrial past to them, and, and this place is obviously no different. Um, Rich, the the Taff Railway used to run through here, or still, obviously, it still, no, it still does, it doesn't still. No, there are remnants of it. Yeah, no, elements do do exist in the. In the uh, in the in the modern railway, yeah, um, certainly I think there's still a, a junction at Quakers Yard, isn't there? Um, not that I've travelled on that um, uh, re- recently, but uh, uh, yeah, the t- the TVR really um, was was kind of like the the last um, surge of uh, communication networks that were put through the um, through the valley. The first was the Glamorganshire Canal, which really opened up um, the you know Cardiff. Um, uh, to, you know, to Merthyr and, and the valleys, uh, and then uh, uh, yeah, and then the uh, the Merthyr tram road, which was which was built um, uh, uh, by the guests and uh, and Humphreys to uh, in competition with uh, with Crochet's because Crochet was a major shareholder, I believe, in the Glamorgan Canal. Um, so you had this, you know, the, the tramway uh, going right the way down through the valley, and that's uh, um, a cycle path now. Part of the Taft Trail, uh, and then the, yeah, the TVR. So um, that that was really um, laid down from about you know 1841 onwards. It was uh, it was born um, from a meeting of um, local mine owners and ironwork owners, um, chaired by uh, John uh, Guest in I think it was 1835, um, and following the Act of Parliament, it was. Um, uh, uh, it, it was enacted and they started building the railway. But really the TVR um, uh, uh, stretched right the way through the valley and connected, uh, you know, uh, th- throughout the, the, the different, um, the main Taff Valley, but also connected up the, the, the smaller valleys, connected up Traharis, Trelewis, and uh, 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 with the docks down in, in Cardiff. Um, and it wasn't until the 20th century, really, when that was all... Uh, Taken over and nationalised, I think, um, just before the the Second World War. So uh, I think I think I, the general feeling I get from you know looking into it is there's always been a kind of a race um, to uh, to get the most advanced and the best communication network in because if you if you can do that, you're going to be making more money than the than the ironworks or the colliery next door to you. And I think that's and also that you know those communication networks they bring in. Um, you know, vast numbers of new people, 
um, and you know you get a change. You know you get a lot of Anglicisation of of names. Then you know especially when we're talking about you know um, you know Traharis and um, in this particular context. And that's that's something that comes up. I I always had this joke when I was at, at university about I live quite close to Pontypool, um, but there's also Pontypool and a bunch of other uh, Pont something. Um, so it. It would be like, do you want to go and meet him in Ponty or do you fancy going to Ponty? And it's like, well, which, which Ponty uh, are you talking about? And it's the same for for anything set with tree, the T-R-E, Treharis, Trilluris and Trebanog and there's all, all these other ones. Um, Harry, Tim, the, the T-R-E on, on the start of that. So I assume that it's Harris and Lewis, the names, but with just tree in front of them, right? I think um, Treharis is named after Frederick Harris, who um, uh, was the developer behind the deep navigation colliery, which I'll, I'll speak about a little, which uh, says something about the egos of um, these people who, uh, you know, named settlements after them. And uh, I think that's the kind of tradition that uh, carried on in, even when, um, is it John Hughes went to um, Russia to open the steelworks? It was called Hugh Ro- Hughes Rovia or Hughes whatever <laughs> so it's a tradition uh, 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 South Australian people have exported uh, you know to 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 Russia and the new world <laughs> as well and literally the new world like uh, people find it quite strange I talk to Americans my I've got a my granddad my bumper was uh, his sister married she saved a, a, a pilot in World War two and up moving to, to America uh, with him and ended up in Nebraska, like the the heart, the corn husker state where there's nothing for miles. So I imagine she had all these dreams of going to the to the new world of America and just ended up in a cornfield. But uh, I talked a lot, a lot about Americans and, and the history of Ireland and Scotland in America, but not the history of Wales. And it turns out that, you know, um, Thomas Jefferson had Welsh ancestry. Hillary Clinton has Welsh ancestry. Michelle Obama went to, and I ended up falling into a rabbit hole on this, went to Bryn Mawr School in um, in Chicago because the, there was a Welsh who moved out to there, set up a, a big settlement, and the, the name of her school is the photo of her uh, with the plaque in the middle of the room, which is Bryn Mawr High School. Uh, I think it's a high school, something like that. So we do export these these places all around the world, these names. So just just go back quickly, the, the T-R-E on the, the start of, of these names, does that mean something? Or? It's Trave, as in town. So it's like Harris's town or, or uh, Harriet's town or, um, you know, Lewis's town, be, uh, to bring in a very local example. Yeah. So Harris is after Frederick Harris. Yeah, so Edwardsville is something that's founded maybe 20 years or so after Treharis, um, largely focused not on a colliery but on a hotel because of the transport links and the railway junction and all the rest of it. Uh, and this reflects a rather different naming strategy, I suppose, in the 1890s. Uh, the Welsh language is really perhaps not considered suitable for naming somewhere that you want to attract people to so if you have a small settlement with a hotel that you want to get people to come to you give it this Edwardsville rather fancy sounding name sounds very exotic and uh, but it's uh, yeah it's about selling a, a place on the basis of its name really I guess 
Yeah, and I suppose we're so used to having places named after collieries and uh, industry that's, well, why not have one named after a hotel? But like this area specifically has a lot of industrial ties, right, Richard? It does, yeah. Well, the name, the name, uh, uh, I think uh, Harry's going to touch on it, but, uh, but but Frederick William Harris um, started uh, Harris uh, Navigation Mine um, in 1873. So um, that's really where the uh, uh, where the uh, where the name comes from, and and that's uh, that colliery itself, um, you know, carried on until 1991, and it really did shape, um, you know, the town. And, it, and at one time, it was the deepest. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do. I think it was the deepest um, mine in the um, in the South Wales Valleys at one point. It was over um, 2,200 feet, um, and it had uh, uh, apparently over 10 miles of underground railways. Uh, but uh, its most famous uh, uh, accolade, I think, is its connection with the Cunard Lines and the uh, um, and the Blue uh, Rye Band. You know, the, the Blue Ribbon, the the uh, transatlantic crossings. Um, and uh, oh, the name's gone. Uh, Mauritania, RMS Mauritania, and the Lusitania. Yeah, so, yeah um, and uh, and and the R uh, and the Titanic as well um, is meant to have had uh, well coal from the South Wales Valleys. It, whether or not it came from here, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, there's a good chance that it did, uh, and because they were all after this prize, you know, the fastest. Uh, Transatlantic uh, air crossing, but um, but uh, but yeah, at one point there was thousands of people working in the colliery. It was a, a really really busy place, and obviously the time sprung up, understandably, uh, uh, from there. There are several links through from that as well into relationships with other other places we've discussed in in this series of podcasts. Um, Deep navigation was owned by the same people. Uh, as the Lady Windsor, uh, the two were were closely linked for for many years, and I think also there's an interesting story linking through areas that are discussed in the Merthyr Vale podcast. That from the initial exploitation of coal merely as a way of smelting iron up in Merthyr in the late 18th century, as coal becomes a product in its own right. So you have to start mining the coal in places further and further away from the point at which the coal originally outcropped. So the mines move south and they get deeper and deeper. And so this is the result of a process that's happened really between the 1840s and the 1870s, 1880s. We're seeing the shift of mining down from Merthyr, down the Taff Valley, uh, and mines having to get progressively deeper as they go. Yeah, um only just some in his way to put um Richard very uh do kid story we young uh I'm a Lusitania, Mauritania are uh Titanic on to base. Um Ostichis Kalsunyad, Pam or Dovn or the Pashema Mind, Ilchivindi Park Tafbargoid, Ak um Mana Sao Kareg and I'll sink not Pam or Dovnoiser, Guithianegro, Amanudros, Huecha Meder, Akikal Sunya do Honey, Osfidilio de Topia Brunier, Tia Pedro Cantahaner Metal, um, Yurben Level Amor, the Hinkal Sunyad, Pam or Bethel, the Dunyon Magofumin Lauri, Enisari and Bob Dees. So, what, what, what I was saying there was, um, the, um, 
Richard took my story, <laughs> basically. But uh, the, those the, the seams for those mounds were very deep, over 600 metres. And um, if you go to Park Duff Balgoid and stand there at the top of the, the shaft for the um, deep navigation colliery and look around you, the tops of the hills that you look at are about 450 metres above sea level. So... Um, Parked up Bargoid's about 100 metres, I believe. So if you think that high, and again, about how far someone had to go down in that shaft to sort of dig coal, you know, that is like... It, it takes your breath away, honestly. And it, people should take time to, you know, just sort of reflect on that sometimes. The, um, you know, what people had to do to kind of create money back in those days to be able to live you're right and and i'm quite lucky that in fact it was my father but my 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 grandfather's generation that was that generation of coal miners he worked in the in the kremlin mine as a buddy for me when he was like 13 years old and when doing work i am I'm, I'm self-employed now I, I talk to wonderful people like you for for a living and people often say that because i do a lot of hours people say i work hard and i I always say that I don't, my, my bamper worked hard. Um, I do a lot of work, but never am I, am I working hard. And I haven't been back, I haven't been down into a mine since primary school, maybe. I think we went to Tower Colliery uh, or, or like Big Pit or, or something like that. And I feel like we should be, I feel like we need to preserve more of these mines and, and just keep that link to, the, to what we to what we now don't have to do to make that money. I th I think there's a, um, and you've kind of touched on another problem here, is because to keep um, um, places like, um, not Tower, uh, in Blenavon, the colliery open there, Big Pit, sorry. Yeah, to keep that open, they need people who are skilled and able to sort of work mines not physically dig the coal but you know to keep um the the mines pumped and uh out sort of keep water out and to keep air flowing through through those mines is a particular skill which has been kind of lost and the danger is that you know you can lose that facility as well because you haven't got that <coughs> picking up on what harry was saying there about the, the depth i was i was lucky um um well uh, back in 2007 um, to work on the archaeology on the Fossifra and open cast mine and um, and as that was being cut into the to the hillside we we, we got an opportunity to actually view um, the the mines the ironstone mines and um, which were later reused as um, uh, as collieries as well um, but just to see the depth of them in the context of the landscape and it was an incredible thing because you could stand you know hundreds of meters up um, you know, on the on the on the on, you know where the original where the mountain was, uh, it's not there anymore, of course. Well, it is; it's been put back. But um, but you could then look down and you can see the pillar and stall and 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 all the other mine workings, hundreds of meters below you. And it really, I mean, I couldn't imagine working in in that kind of environment. Um, I mean, what we what we were hoping for, we, we were praying for, is to find. Uh, you know, um, uh, underground offices or or, uh, or stables or something like that. But they were they were just that they were there, but they were just deeper than the uh, than the coal that the uh, that the mine was um, was winning. So so we never got to and and that again was something else that was um, 
was staggering is to think that you know there, there was uh, these mines just carried on for hundreds of meters more you know uh, into the Murtha hillside so uh, uh, and especially when it rained um, when it rained it there was a lot of uh, water that emptied in uh, funny enough it emptied in off of a, a system called the dialysis free drainage system which was a, a system put in to bring water off the the mountain um, to, to, for the dialysis ironworks and uh, and that emptied into the uh, into the hole and uh, it, one of the mines uh, uh, I think it was uh, labeled pit number one on the 19th century plans but um, but you could just see thousands of gallons of water just disappearing down into this hole right at the bottom and I always wondered you know where on earth it went because <laughs> it never came, <laughs> it never came out into a river you know anywhere else but uh, but yeah, I doubt um, with uh, with the move away from fossil fuels, I doubt we'll get to see um, a spectacle like that again. Yeah, and I think that you know it's always something that I I think when we we have to remember that we don't have to go back to to fossil fuels and and dig in our, our hillsides up to remember what it took to do that and to remember where you know where a lot of us came from and where a lot of our uh, and while we have so much today uh, I, I it was take, taken away and we don't have these these coal mines anymore and you know even if it even if it wasn't even if we even if the coal mines weren't shut in the way that they were they would have been shut because we're moving to fossil to renewable energies now anyway uh, and whatnot so um, a lot of the infrastructure that we have especially in the South Wales valleys, is because of the, of, the, of the coal mines. A lot of transport links was because of the the coal mines and the ironworks and 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 everything else. Um, so, look, Harry, like, how much of the the South Wales Valleys was really the transport system dictated by by this movement of coal? I, I suppose, as in sort of all arguably peripheral economies, that uh, most of your transport links are geared to sort of export stuff out. So all the transport links, all all the post-industrial trans, um, or from the industrial era onwards links are sort of down to Cardiff in this instance or Newport and then on to the rest of the world. And I kind of think um, arguably that, you know, that facilitated the, the movement of, you know, wealth out of the area as well in a way. Um, I don't know how... Um, how uh, familiar you are with the works of a, of a singer-songwriter called Mike Stevens who sings in Welsh and one of his songs is about um, uh, smoke in the valleys and uh, how a society developed and why was a, a, a town built in such an area that is almost hell on earth and one of the final more poignant lines is uh, you know where's the money and the answer is Nidgeni, and it's not with me, you know. So that kind of puts me in mind of through the kind of crochets who, you know, almost overnight in the early 1900s um, just abandoned uh, Kavartha Castle. Um, I've sold it to uh, a grateful, um, not county borough, but whatever at the time, and then um, left when the money ran out or the money stopped coming in. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a sort of a long view of the history here as well, isn't there? That we've been looking at place names, some of which, well, in terms of Quakers Yard, um, that that's going back a century or so before 
the intense industrialization started and then you have maybe a hundred years that's dominated by iron and then you've had 150 or so years dominated by coal but these things have all been transient they've come and they've gone uh, which is which is interesting one further point and i suppose thinking about transport links and and quaker's yard and the tough fell railway is also how that plays into another little local rivalry and that between cardiff and barry and the tough fell being able to export its coal via barry rather than going through cardiff and the creation of of another major population center in south wales and that's all tied in with these transport links and where they're going and uh, and indeed who's making the money as you say so did Taff Valley Railway head straight down to Barry or is it via Cardiff and and down? Uh no there's a there's a cross route uh across so you don't have to go all the way down to Cardiff, no. I mean that that's something we we touched on before before we started recording was how these transport links now are very much up and down the valleys and we have very few that go back and forth the valleys. Um you know, whereas it when we had all these great transport links, we'd be able to cross from one valley to the next to the next. And because now the population centres and I suppose the wealth is concentrated down at Cardiff and, and Newport and Barry and, and whatnot, there was mu- there's now much less impetus to put um, transport links across the valleys as opposed to straight down them. That's right. But it's interesting how some of these links are able to be brought back into use for other purposes. I mean, we're seeing interest in rejuvenating some of the railway tunnels that went between valleys as cycle tracks and walking routes. So maybe some of those are coming back. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly interest in reopening some of the long railway tunnels between the valleys that have been closed for a very long time. And I think that, well, I suppose, Harry, the, one of the biggest projects at the moment that is on the verge of finishing, maybe? Um, is the heads of the valleys roads that that literally can, connects a bunch of them? Well, yeah, I suppose um, they connect. The, with, there's a dueling of the heads of the valleys that's happening um, as we speak. The last section is between um, Dowlais Top and Hirwine, um, and I think work is going to. Um, be commenting on how long it will take. Um, I really couldn't answer that because the Bryn Mawr section has been taken uh, seemingly forever. Um, I, I sort of think that that, that is also a, a geared towards getting stuff out of uh, here to the market and in, in sort of industrial midlands. I, I don't know. I, I think, that, you know, especially in, in light of recent sort of development, the, the pandemic and, and lots of people now working from home there's an opportunity to sort of relook at, at how we sort of use our transport do you know do we need these big links can we sort of look at uh, getting around a little bit more actively sort of uh, you know uh, especially with um, um, changes to the climate and uh, congestion and all that you know do we need I know some people think that there's a new kind of metro development that they're building along the the railway lines and the 
bus routes in um, South Wales now is designed for rapid transport of people down to Cardiff. But is that future going to be there post-pandemic? You know, I don't know, you know, and is it an opportunity to look at, you know, um, getting people to sort of work closer to their homes and then, you know, bring that wealth back into sort of and regenerate local services? I, I definitely think, you know, there's an opportunity there to do that. I think you're right, and I think that you know whenever I bring people, <laughs> funnily enough, like I, I have a lot of meetings um, with a lot of people. Almost always, I can count in in my twelve years, eleven years of being self-employed, one person has come up into the valleys. Maybe two people are up into the valleys to meet me instead of me going the other way down to like Cardiff or London or wherever. And I really think that that with all this this change now, that the valleys can be much more. When people do come to to see me, they see how nice it is. Places like Quakers Yard, Harris, and 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 these places to live in them and then do online uh, business might be the new thing. Um, you know, we, we might not have to port our natural materials out of these places if we can just do it online. I mean, what is, uh, what, what is our product now, I suppose, you know, it's, it's it, it, very little is sort of manufactured in Merth as such. There, obviously, there are places that do certain things, but a lot of that manufacturers is not here anymore do we sort of are we are we trying to become a knowledge economy are, are we are we do we deal in data do we you know all of which can be done virtually or online like we're doing now you know and and suppose rather than kind of physical transport links the, probably the most important thing is is you know good sort of broadband links and uh, and, and stuff like that that's going to be interesting, you know, when it comes to if we, if the place names and the cultural connections that we've created over the years are so heavily linked to, to people buying the areas and the, the industry that's there and, and everything else, how does this new era of of us doing business and, and the knowledge industry, I suppose, as you, as you mentioned, how will place names start to change then going forward if it's not linked to that industry? It's an interesting idea. Um, I just, just, just to consider for a moment. Obviously, the the Taff Valley and well, the the, the Rhonda as well is, uh, has been um, has changed. The, you know, with the communication networks, has been an intense, um, you know, sort of uh, two hundred, two hundred and fifty years of uh, of development and activity. And you know, uh, Harry mentioned money. You know, there's enormous volumes of of wealth generated, but just pause for one second. I mean, Hugh, you hit the nail on the head when you said that the valleys are beautiful and they are stunning. But if that industry, if that coal and iron wasn't there, what would it look like today? You know, would would the valleys be, you know, part of the Brecon Beacons National Park or would it be the Valleys National Park? You know, because, you know, we would, you know, the valleys are an absolutely stunning area and, and, and for the want of, um, you know, geologic, geology, essentially, you know, things could have been, uh, you know, very, very different. For sure. And I suppose this, to, to wrap up, Harry mentioned the, the Valleys Regional Park Initiative. That's right. Uh, it's um, 
initiative that celebrates the valleys and its culture and it is sort of spread from um, the eastern valleys uh, right over to the west of um, Carmarthenshire. Um, I know uh, there's about, I think there's nine separate hubs um, that people can uh, go and visit when uh, can, when when we're allowed to go and uh, I, it, I think it's the the idea is to develop um, the valleys as a, as a kind of destination in its own right, um, perhaps along the lines of um, th- the industrial ruhr type, um, the steel sort of, I, I forgot what it's called, the steel ruhr uh, park or uh, in Germany. I've taken a leaf out of their, their book, and so we can, you know, celebrate our um, industrial past, uh, past in a, in a, a very beautiful and pleasant environment, you know. And embrace our cultural connections, gentlemen. Thank you so much uh, for that episode, um, Harry, Tim, and Richard. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. The Cultural Connections Project is part of the Wales Rural Development Plan 2014-2020, to which is funded by the European Union Fund for Rural Development and the Posh Government. It has been commissioned by Merthyr Tydfil Canterbury Council, delivered by TACP UK Limited, Black Mountains Archaeology, GeoArch and Hugh James Media. My cysylltiadau diwylliannol yn rhan o gynllun dyblygu gwledig Cymru 2014 Cronfa Amaethyddol Europe ar gyfer dyblygu gwledig a Llywodraeth Cymru. Chomisiynwyd gan cyngor Sirol Bwrdeistref Merthyr Tydfil a chynorchwyd gan TACP, Black Mountains Archaeology, Geoarch a Hugh James Media.